Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Grant Rollins. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. And I'm Justin Robertson. Tonight, our featured guest is Brandon Heinbaugh from Positive Link IU Health Bloomington Hospital. But first, let's check in with Justin for this week's LGBTQ news. Oh, Frankie, will what? Republicans ever quit <laughs> hating on the LGBTQ community? <laughs> Let us take a peek. Just at just how anti-LGBTQ Tuesday night's GOP primary winners are. So boys, clinch your purses close as we dive into some hate across our rainbow nation. Several red and purple states, including West Virginia, Indiana, and Ohio, held primary elections for governor, U.S. Senate, and U.S. House last night. Other publications are trying to find a theme for the results of last night's primaries. Were the winners Trumpian? Were they establishment candidates? Did the party get the candidate it wanted? Or were outsiders the big winners? No matter where the discussion goes, one clear theme did emerge last night. Anti-LGBTQ candidates won in the GOP. Sure, most of the GOP primaries involve multiple anti-LGBTQ candidates running against each other. But it's still important to note that even in 2018, one of the two major parties has no room for candidates who favor equal rights. Here are a few examples. Patrick Morrissey, U.S. Senate, West Virginia. West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey was supposedly the nicer, more establishment candidate in the GOP's West Virginia Senate primary, and he beat convicted criminal Don Blankenship, who famously referred to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's Asian-American wife as his China family. But that doesn't mean that Morrissey is friendly. (laughs) In 2016, (laughs) as State Attorney General Morrissey joined a lawsuit against the Obama administration seeking to overturn federal protections for transgender students. West Virginia and other states share an interest in maintaining local control of schools, he said at the time. And as if letting young people determine their own gender identity would lead to chaos, Morrissey said, now every school board in West Virginia that receives federal funds is vulnerable to lawsuits seeking to allow students unfettered access to the bathroom, locker room, or sports team of his or her choice. Can you imagine that? In 2015, he said that he was very disappointed with the Obergefell decision, which legalized marriage equality throughout the U.S., He quoted, states should be able to define marriage. That's always been my position. He said this on a local radio program, bringing in the old right-wing framing of marriage equality as an attack on the definition of marriage. He continued, at the end of the day, you cannot deprive people the opportunity to debate issues themselves. Having unelected judges usurp the people's voice is really problematic. And then we have Mike DeWine running for Ohio governor. 
Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine was another establishment Republican who won last night, beating Trumpian Lieutenant Governor Mary Taylor. Taylor ran ads that point out DeWine's more liberal heresies, saying, if you like President Trump, then you won't like Mike DeWine. (laughs) Do these liberal heresies include support for LGBTQ issues? Of course not. In 2014, DeWine challenged a court ruling that required Ohio to recognize same-sex marriages performed by other states. Uh, The governor said in a statement supporting DeWine's appeal, the people of the state, including me, voted years ago on a constitutional amendment to say that marriage is between a man and a woman. DeWine's appeal to the GOP included the old argument that gay people are actually not discriminated against, so they don't need the courts to intervene on their behalf. He argued that there has been a steady decline in anti-gay animus and that, quote, political invisibility is not an issue today. As he has, was literally, literally asking a court to take away rights from gay people. <laughs> DeWine didn't join the lawsuit against the Obama administration's transgender student protections, but he did issue a statement supporting the lawsuit. He said, there are so many questions that consistent with constitutional guarantees are best left to the fair-minded, sensible determinations of our local communities. (laughs) Thus, implying that banning discrimination against transgender people isn't fair-minded or sensible. Then we have Jim Renacci, U.S. Senate, Ohio. Representative Jim Renacci, who was endorsed by Donald Trump, who was endorsed by Donald Trump, beat out several other candidates in the GOP primary for Ohio Senate. So we know where this is going. In 2015, Renacci issued a statement on the Obergefell decision, saying, I still maintain my deeply held faith and with it the belief that marriage should be between one man and one woman. However, there was some hope for him back in 2015. That year, he voted for an amendment that would have banned discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in companies that receive federal contracts. Unfortunately, it didn't pass. And in 2016, Renacci voted against the same amendment. Renacci was confident that religious liberties would be fully protected at the time he took the vote on the Peters Amendment, uh, said his spokesperson. But after talking further with constituents, he believed that such amendments should expressly clarify that religious liberties would remain fully protected, the spokesperson continued. Which for Renacci is a fancy way of saying that he changed his position after the GOP base was enraged, that some Republicans voted for for an LGBTQ anti-discrimination measure. And then we have Greg Pence. Well, folks will be talking about old Mr. Pence a little later on. (laughs) So let's go to Mark Harris, the U.S. House from North Carolina. Representative, Representative Robert Pittenger, Republican of North Carolina, was the first Republican incumbent to lose a primary race this year. Pastor Mark Harris, who is the current president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention, beat Pittenger by painting the latter as a Republican liberal. Is there such a thing? <laughs> On LGBTQ equality, Harris has a good argument that he's more conservative than Pittenger. Harris's first foray into politics was leading the successful push for a constitutional amendment banning marriage equality in North Carolina in 2012. Harris wrote on his campaign website in 2018, one of the most devastating blows to the American way of life has been the breakdown of the family union. A marriage consists of one man and one woman. The Supreme Court in a 5-4 to decision decided otherwise. 
I would support the nomination of conservative Supreme Court justices that would revisit this decision, he said. Then we have Jim Bard, U.S. House, Indiana. Indiana Representative Jim Bard won the Republican primary in India's 4th Western District uh, last night. In 2015, he voted in favor of a controversial law in Indiana that would have made it illegal for businesses to discriminate against LGBTQ people if they cited their religious beliefs. Even if they haven't said anything, they're saying a lot. So while the mainstream media is trying to decide what these primaries say about the GOP in general, they're clearly saying that Republicans still solidly oppose LGBTQ rights. Wow. <laughs> so it looks like uh, well indiana we got two shout outs so it looks like we're kind of in a, a cesspool of uh as usual um but we got to remember this is the primary but we got to remember this is indiana so i don't know what are you guys are, are thinking about with with what's going on i mean it was exciting monroe county bloomington you know we we did really well as we always do <laughs> so if you want to feel good in our, bubble. <laughs> in our little bubble but um you know nationally and throughout the state you know not so well no it's scary as it always is um these people are, are a bit problematic, aren't they? <laughs> a, a bit. But, you know, um, history has sort of, uh, they've, they've tended to go away, it seems. I hope. I hope that will continue. But uh, I, don't I don't know. I think this time around, I think we're going to have to, I think, you know, the right is also, you know, they're, they're more, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, 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 they're more willing to kind of, you know, throw their bigotry around. I think True. at one time it was a little more polite, um, and now you know people don't have you know issues with with showing their sides, and people don't have problems with that either, and that's kind of disturbing in some ways. Well, that has a lot to do with the leadership at the top, uh, aka Donald Trump, right? And the people uh, that are voting for him, <laughs> yeah, and the people that are voting for him. I but. mean, and that's the thing. So I don't know. Hopefully, um, you know, wishful thinking, but uh, it, that was just a little nerving. You know, when, when I saw all that kind of come out. Oh, lardy, lardy. <laughs> Our Hoosier state just keeps walking back the clock. We will soon be in the dark ages. Can someone please turn on the lights? This is all just getting stupid silly around here. <laughs> Mike Pence's brother won the primary race for vice president's former house seat, Greg Pence, a former Marine with no previous political experience who has campaigned on much the same agenda as his younger brother. Regularly, Pence on Tuesday won the Republican primary for Indiana's 6th Congressional District, a seat his younger brother, Vice President Mike Pence, held for almost a decade, according to the Associated Press. Greg Pence, a former Marine and the owner of two antique malls, ran a campaign that echoed his brother's conservative values. He described himself as a pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, and faith-driven conservative on his campaign website. The businessman's campaign was in many ways reminiscent of the agenda that Trump administration has pursued. In quotes, I love my brother Michael and there's no daylight on issues between him and me. <laughs> Greg Pence said in a recent email to the Indianapolis Star, Pence, a Catholic, has voiced his... <laughs> <laughs> Pence, a Catholic, <laughs> has voiced his support of conservative values while courting the evangelicals who will remain faithful <laughs> to his brother. I think what we have seen in this country, knocking other people's values, how they practice, how they want to serve God, I've always had a real problem with that. 
Pence said in one of his campaign <laughs> Well, let's just say <laughs> Let's just say we're having a hard time digesting this one. I mean, having, you know, <laughs> Mike Pence, it. It, is, it is, you know, a laughing matter. I mean, which is scary that, you know, it's here weird. we are. Sorry. And, well, that's fine. I mean, and, uh, you know, I'll just throw in there. Um, his other antique store is right here in Bloomington. Yeah, the Bloomington Antique Mall. Yeah, so. <laughs> I thought it was kind of exciting that he owned two antique stores. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And he's kind of handsome. I'm waiting for him to be, like, on out well, or yeah. something of that. I mean, Mike the, the, Pence is kind of daddy. Yeah, he is a little daddy <laughs> on, on that one. And Grant, I guess you're all, like, like all hot from that, Grant. Yeah, I mean. just threw me for one. <laughs> do you want to try continuing reading? Or, yeah, yeah, or, of course, or, of course. Or do you want to? I can go on, yeah. Let me start back. I think what we have seen in this country knocking other people's values, how they practice, how they want to serve God, I've always had a real problem with that, Pence said in one of his campaign videos. Pence, who has no previous political experience, beat our four other Republican candidates in the primary race. He has raised nearly $1.2 million in campaign funds, according to Federal Election Commission records, dwarfing his competitors. A small portion of that money includes contributions from the Great America Committee, a political action committee created by the vice president to advance President Donald Trump's agenda day in and day out. That agenda includes issues such as securing our borders, repealing and replacing Obamacare, and restoring the American economy. Pence's campaign drew on his business and military background. In an April Facebook post, he expressed his support for building a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border to prevent the flow of illegal drugs and illegal immigrants. Pence has advocated for tax cuts, Obamacare repeal, and less federal control over Second Amendment rights. The businessman called Obamacare, formerly known as the Affordable Care Act, an attack on the middle class. Obamacare is not, er, sorry, Obamacare is no good. It's shot, it's broke, it's not working, Pence said in another campaign video. The Trump-Pence administration tried to do something. Congress didn't help them. I want to help them. Indiana's 6th District has voted steadily Republican since 1983, and Mike Pence kept the seat for nearly 10 years before becoming the state governor in 2012. So here we are. Thank you for making that yeah, <laughs> through made it there. right through there. <laughs> that right, this serious political business that we're doing, and then we bring Grant. Well, no, but you know the, the Pence family. I'm like family. the least political person out of all four of us, by the way. <laughs> the Pence family is an interesting one because they're just sort of all over the place. And I guess Mike Pence wasn't even um, raised to be a conservative. Oh, really? His parents were Democrats. That's right. So yeah, what happened? Big time. Well, he married. He married. Revolted, I guess. And then Mike. <laughs> I mean, all of them. I don't it, know. It was his wife. It was his wife. And then she wouldn't let him eat with other people because you know he's not allowed to eat with. He's not allowed him. to eat with other women. Right. Alone. Alone. Without his wife present. Right. Or fe- another female. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think you are. I Something guess. Like I well, either way, we're it's giving weird. bad news. <laughs> it's weird. It's a little strange there, and that's you know part of our our nation. Right, don't touch that dial while we take a few minutes to enjoy some music from our featured artists this week, Daft Punk, with their song, One More Time.
Welcome back to Blooming Out. You have been listening to One More Time by Daft Punk. A mea culpa from the paper for its inattention to AIDS in the 1980s is welcome, but maybe too little too late. Last week in the New York Times published a special issue of T Magazine reflecting on the years 1981 to 1983. It was easy to feel both moved and impressed by the attention paid to the paper's infamous disregard for the biggest story of the era, AIDS. In commissioning six LGBTQ editors and to address the paper's notorious homophobia, the Times appeared to be engaged in a reckoning with its past failings. Like the paper's project to re- retroactively add obituaries for women, from Charlotte Bronte and Nella Larson to Diane Arbus, who had been overlooked by the paper in their day, it felt both appropriate and significant. Here at last was the paper of record putting on the record one of the most egregious examples of moral dereliction. As Kurt Soler, articles editor at the Mark Magazine, <laughs> pointed out in an introduction, for too many years the paper gave the disease scant attention, only putting it on the front page in 1983, two years after symptoms were first reported. We live, of course, in the age of the mea culpa, but when the apology comes unprompted by a sudden scandal or rele- revelation, the contrition feels genuine not simply damage control. Much like the rest of society, the Times has evolved and appears ready, even eager, to atone for the past. In quotes, one of the reasons this is coming up now in this moment is that we're all examining what identity means and re-examining what power means and re-examining how we present those conflicts on the page. Hanya Yanagihara, the editor-in-chief of T and the celebrated author of A Little Life, explained during a phone conversation. Since the paper today is not the paper of yesteryear, the exercise of addressing its past failings is, of course, easier to do. Of the six writers, only Adam Nagurney is old enough to have experienced the homophobia of the 80s as a working journalist. Yanni Gahara was still in the single digits when AIDS made the Times front page. Like women of color who have assumed editor-in-chief roles elsewhere, Lydia Polgreen at HuffPost and Radhika Jones at Vanity Fair her tenure represents a more vigorously inclusive perspective. In a percipient gesture, Larry Kramer was photographed for one of seven special covers, a nod to the writer's decade-long ear with the Times for its homophobia. In his searing play, The Normal Heart, Kramer satirized the paper's inaction in the figure of closeted New York Times Styles writer Felix Turner. That was in 1985. Many years before the paper began to reevaluate its posture on the LGBTQ issues, I still remember the editors. Uh, sorry, I still remember the editorial board's decision to publish same-sex wedding vows in 2002 and feeling acknowledged in ways that were deeply validating. It's hard to believe that such a small step could feel revolutionary, but it did, and it was. 
What then might have been achieved had the times attended to HIV AIDS was, or sorry, with the diligence it later paid to marriage equality. In an email, the veteran AIDS activist Peter Staley pointed out that an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in 1976 elicited 62 stories from the Times in the space of two months, of which 11 made the front page. Legionnaire's killed 29 people. AIDS killed 6,000 people before the Times gave its front page coverage. He wrote, Imagine if the Times had put AIDS on the front page 11 times in 1981. How would that have changed the course of the epidemic? How many lives would have been saved? The writers of the pieces do not duck the question, although Staley considers the exercise more self-serving than remorseful. Natalie Kitrofe writes how the newsroom culture under then-editor A.M. Abe Rosenthal often forced its LGBT journalists to choose between their career ambitions and their desire to have an openly queer life. As with other public conversations around exclusion and erasure, Yanni Gahara considers the ex exercise in T as a starting point, not an end game. To learn from your failings, she knows, sorry, to learn from your failings, she knows you need to first acknowledge them. If you're going to be aware of your place in the culture ferment, and you're going to call yourself the writer of the first draft of history, which is really how journalists here are trained to think, I think rightly, then it does mean reckoning retroactively with mistakes, she says. Cover or no cover, Kramer is not ready to give the paper a pass just yet. Like Staley, he took exception to the ways in which some of the pieces appeared to deflect criticism, for instance, by attributing the scant attention to AIDS to an overtaxed science desk. These excuses were sort of namby-pamby, he said. Anyway, it's hard to accept them when you realize how many millions are dead from a plague that the Times wouldn't warn the world about. It's a solitary reminder that for those who lived through the plague, the witnesses who fought with every ounce of their beings to save the lives of their friends and lovers, the Times mea culpa is too little, too late. The people who most need to hear the people who most need to hear it are all dead. Wow. So do you guys, you young folks out here, do you guys remember or know anything about this? I mean, did you study well, this? Well, they weren't school? alive then. No, but they, they, <laughs> they read, I think, right? About I don't just know. <laughs> About the AIDS, you know, epidemic and what was going on at that time. I mean, uh, being in the field, it absolutely, you hear stories. I've worked with several individuals at uh, higher levels in different ASOs among, the, like in the Indiana region, who were alive, had friends that unfortunately passed away, family members even that passed away, and the horror stories that you hear from these individuals about people not being able to be buried in the same cemetery as the rest of their family because it came out that they died of HIV and AIDS, or the fact that people were receiving care somewhere, doctors would tell them to to essentially leave the hospital or just prepare themselves to die because they only had a few weeks to live and there was nothing that they could do for them. And, it, I mean, it just goes from all the way from diagnosis to death, just receiving absolutely no help in that time, and it's unfortunate. So even hearing stories like that, that it wasn't even being reported on back then is even more horrifying to yeah, hear. Yeah, I mean, before Reagan at the time even spoke about it, and forget how many years have elapsed before he even acknowledged there was an epidemic going on. I mean, yeah, I think know. it was about five. But one thing that we have to remember is that we can't look at the past through our own lens. No. And I was around during that time. I was about 14. I remember reading the 18. article in the New York Times. Right. And I just become sexually active and it scared the crap out of me, quite honestly. But the thing is, is we knew so little about it 
they thought it was a cancer. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know if you could get it from saliva. They didn't know yeah, everything. anything. Yeah. It was like, I remember time. like in school we about like, the pool, people being really scared right. that you would get it. It was most of the media, I'm just curious, that was covered or that you were seeing or consuming. Mm-hmm. Was it all basically bad? Like about like, Yeah, no one knew anything. Just the gay lifestyle. Yes, like I mean, it's absolutely. Like it's, it's gay. They were trying to figure you. out. I mean, they could. They figured out that it was gay men that were dying, and they right. did not know why. And so there was um, a movie star, Rock Hudson, right, who later had to come out as gay because he got AIDS. But he was the first, I believe, uh, celebrity, celebrity right. that this happened to. But then all the women that he had kissed in movies, everybody was freaking out. They were freaking out like that they had it, right. And did but we didn't know we weren't. I, I just want to point out that it wasn't because people were homophobic. Although no, I mean, there were. was that. I mean, was there was that. that, but nobody was. I don't think pushing anything under the rug. I think that people did not know. No, but I think being you know, but when it came out that it was you know carried by men, then that was even. Then it got uglier. You know, I remember in school when you know being in high school and. Um, you know, the, the, the gay word to be a set it or you wanted no association with it because you would have HIV or AIDS and that was the end. Well, the gay it. word was already not okay. It wasn't okay, but it, I think it even, you know, heightened Or to that be point. gay wasn't okay. No, no it I wasn't. Mean. It wasn't. But I think, you know, that just kind of added to it. And it was right. as for a, a young, oh, yeah. you know, I remember, you know, I wasn't out for quite a while after. You know, but the fear of it is this. Like, but I think the thing is, is it was sort of the catalyst for our more open attitudes today. Because, I mean, Frankie, you know, you're the same generation I am, and we probably know a lot of people who died from this. And all of a sudden, there was so much activism, and people were realizing that they had gay people in their families that they loved, whereas before these people hid or they got married or whatever. Well, now you can't hide it once you have AIDS, right? Yeah. Right. And so. Do you remember the quilt when it came to IU? I do. So the quilt was basically, it was all the people who died from yeah. HIV. It was a, um, and, um, Very powerful. So people would remember who they were. You would, you know, you, for a family member or whatever, they would make a patch on the quilt. And they stretched it out, I forget on what year, on the white, on the white, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. on the mall lawn. But it traveled. And you'd go around it. And I remember it coming to IU. Um, when I was in college, and it was just mind-blowing and emotional of just... And at that time, people were still dying from, you know, at high, high rates of HIV at that point in AIDS. And um, it was just to, to, to see it. And, you know, and, and a lot of these people, they went... The ones that had died, I mean, had horrible deaths, you know, because oh, they yeah. just didn't have the medical... Oh, yeah, there was no, tr- no sort of treatment no. whatsoever, and it was... It was a terrifying, terrifying. I mean, people would time. die. The families were afraid, so you know they didn't want to take them. And some of the community, the gay community, they would they opened houses and homes for you know people with AIDS to come. Yeah, and some and funeral die. parlors wouldn't take. Yeah, them a lot of funeral parlors. But I was curious: have um, any of you guys heard about the AIDS quilt before? I, I don't think so. That's in. That's, yeah, I'd heard about it, familiar, but. but. Yeah, and that's part of, you know, gay history that's so important. Yeah. yeah. You should look it up. I mean, it's a quilt that all these loved ones made for their family members or lovers or whatever that died and everybody, you know, quilt is patches of things put together, as you know, so it would have their names on it or poetry or whatever. And so what it did is it really made everyone who was dying, it personalized them, yeah. made them into an individual, showed that they were loved showed that they were people they, exactly gave them visibility yeah I don't even so. I don't, it would be interesting to find out where the quilt is and then I mean, it would just roll out all over the lawn on the mall 
in Washington, D.C., it was so large. And so that sort of visibility of how many people were dying, how many people had uh, succumbed to this disease, it was very powerful and very emotional. I think today even it's one of the biggest community art projects that was ever undertaken and put together. And funny that that story actually came up because my very first day at Positive Link was the day that we opened our primary care clinic for our HIV positive clients. And we actually got to feature a part of the quilt at our office that day for our grand opening. So it was really awesome. Oh, did you? That's fabulous. Yeah, wow. it was great to see. Wow. That's yeah. great. All right, blooming out friends, please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And uh, please enjoy this music. Use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, drag it, drop it, zip, unzip it, lock it, fill it, call it, find it, view it, code it, jump, unlock it, surf it, scroll it, pose it, pick it, cross it, crack it, twitch, update it, name it, read it, tune it, print it, scan it, send it, fax, rename it, touch it, ring it, pay it, watch it, turn it, leave it, stop, format it. Technologic, 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 technologic. Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, crack it, drop it, zip, unzip it, lock it, fill it, throw it, find it, view it, code it, jump, unlock it, surf it, scroll it, pose it, click it, cross it, crack it, switch it, Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an independent magazine covering Bloomington and the surrounding areas, introducing their first print edition, an art magazine dedicated to local history and sense of place, with corresponding art show and release party at the IFL Gallery on June 1st from 6 to 9 p.m. More information online at limestonepost.com. 
looking at the community calendar um tonight catch father john misty with damien gerondo and rodiola at upland brewing co and that's tonight um it actually just started at 6 15 um what else we got here um that's actually a part of the grand falloon uh kurt vonnegut festival so be sure to check that out um let's see saturday um catch no name and baths and sean morimoto at rhino's youth center at rhino's youth center um that's tomorrow at six or saturday may 12th at 6 p.m um and there are also two other venues that are connected to that festival as well um you can catch OCs, the OCs, and Shabazz Palaces and White Moms, the Bluebird. That's at that starts at 8 p.m. on Saturday, and also Waxa Hatchie and Kevin Crowder with Amy O at the Bishop, and that starts at 8:30. Right, um, back to the show. I hope you all enjoyed that. That was Technologic by Daft Punk. Our guest tonight is Brandon Heinbaugh. He has worked in the health and wellness field since 2014, with much of that time being focused in the field of HIV and AIDS. Brandon recently joined the IU Health Positive Link team in December as a health educator working in prevention and STI testing and education. Brandon's primary functions outside of testing for HIV and other STIs includes education and outreach within many of the communities that surround us. The prevention team in Bloomington covers eight different counties, including Monroe, Bartholomew, Brown, Lawrence, Jackson, Jennings, Orange, and Morgan. Within recent years, their team has also started doing sexual health education within Monroe County. So Brandon, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Positive Link and what attracted you to this field of work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, Pleasure to be here. But um, my story actually starts right here in Bloomington as well. I graduated from um, IUB in 2016 with my uh, bachelor's degree in community health. And throughout the my starting in about my sophomore year, I got involved with the Health and Wellness Center here on campus, and they just had a lot of really great initiatives that they kind of tried to just accomplish and get all as many students involved. So it initially just started out with me volunteering, ended up kind of in a part-time job role, and that lasted throughout the remainder of undergrad. And so after I graduated, I almost immediately started working full-time for another aid service organization in Indianapolis called the Damien Center. Um, They are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, ASOs in the state of Indiana, so they have a very high client load, just with Indianapolis being such a great city, or a big city, that it's understandable that it just happens that way. But I was a care coordinator there, so... Um, with Positive Link, it's a aid service organization as well, too. So fast forwarding just a couple more years, um, back in December of 2017, I started with uh, Positive Link as a health educator. Um, and yeah, so um, like Kevin said, we just do a lot of health education and outreach um, in the surrounding counties. Uh, a lot here in Bloomington, we're out in the community a lot doing testing, going into schools, doing education. Um, we do a lot with special populations like our homeless populations, um, going into IOP groups groups and doing presentations and testings. We go into a lot of the jails, unfortunately not Monroe County for reasons that we can't quite figure out um, all the way, but we are in other counties' jails doing testing and providing those services to those that may not be able to kind of access them on their own outside of there. So um, we are happy to do that. We stay very busy and um, 
it's a great job i love it it's just rewarding to be able to do the work every day um to know that we're making such an impact on a community that needs it um especially in a region of indiana like the one we do live in um there's not a lot of services that are provided to those um that may be in those special population needs groups so we are happy to be able to provide as much as we can so um what are the what does your day-to-day kind of look like um day-to-day we i have a job share um, my job share uh, partner's name is Kristen. she's another health educator and because we cover such a vast majority of south central indiana as an individual office we kind of come in we make our scout our calendars months in advance and we have sites planned out to go to essentially almost every day of the week so we're coming in we're traveling out grabbing our tests going to do testing presentations and all that and then there's just a lot of like side reporting that you would do with any other kind of job in the field like that um but outside of that we get to do a lot of other really fun events i go to pretty much any pride event that's close in the area um just here in a few weeks um, a national prep campaign is starting um in scott county and uh, we get to be a part of that to kind of help go out and promote that um and then we also just within the last six months of positive link have been running around like crazy with a lot of new added services that we got. Um, I know Jesse was here a few weeks back to talk mm-hmm. about prep. So our primary care clinic just started back in December. Its first day was December 5th. And um, since then, we've added an entire new program of having prep services available, having an NP that can see um, potential prep clients and kind of helping navi- helping them navigate not only all of the financial aspects of going on to prep, but how to properly use it and how it should be um, looked at and kind of to fight the stigma against prep and debunk myths and all of that good stuff too. So we are a busy little group over there. It sounds like you're doing great work. Thank you. Yes, we definitely try. <laughs> Thank you on behalf of the community. I thought it was interesting. You said you could not do the Monroe County Jail. I mean, you couldn't do ed- outreach and education. Is that correct? Um, I mean, I'm not too sure on the okay. Like, I don't want reasons you on the spot. why. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's just we go in and do testing, and a few weeks later, as we would have to come back and do results. And I think just timing wise, it doesn't really okay. work out. You don't it. do the um, the rapid testing. We do, um, but when we go to um, jails in particular, it just takes more time to have to do rapid testing and stuff it, okay, like that. Okay. So we usually just sense. go in, do blood draws, and then come back a couple weeks later to give results separately. So I guess. Do you just do testing at the jails, or do you also do education? Um, it's more of a personalized education. Okay. We're more than welcome, or more than happy to go ahead and have those types of conversations right. as they come up. I mean, it doesn't matter who we're testing or what population they may be from. Everybody always has questions. Um, there's always something that they've heard that they're curious about, or a myth that they don't believe or may believe in. We kind of have to debunk for them, even when it comes to sexual health and STIs. So, um it's great. It definitely keeps us on our toes. Um, always find something new to be able to talk about and just following news stories and things of that nature. Uh, we're always learning and being updated with information as well, too. So it's a never ending process. So what's uh, one of the myths that are kind of floating around right now that, you know, I know each time yeah. there's kind of like different myths that people are just unsure or they heard from a friend or. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to sexual health and just STIs in general, I feel like a lot of people just get their information from hearsay or from friends or family or whomever. And um, I mean, just here recently, there 
have been times where we have come in and people ask us like things like how herpes are spread or even still today with how much information has been put out about HIV, people still think that you can get HIV by bitten by being bit by a mosquito that has bitten somebody that has HIV. No. And that's absolutely not true. So just little things like that, that we may not expect people to still believe or still kind of be putting out there and talking to about with other people. It, it absolutely still is happening. So even just one little conversation, one test is changing somebody's opinion or kind of mindset on HIV AIDS and other STIs. So again, even just one little thing makes a difference and we're definitely happy to do our job. It's amazing to me how the myths persist through time because Absolutely. I feel like the, the, they're the same myths that were going on when I was young. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it's just surprising that people still do that. Do you find some people just don't believe you or don't heed your advice? There's always or? skepticism. Um, mm -hmm. We get mistaken for nurses um, mm -hmm. a lot just because we have the uniform on um, with the IU Health logo That's and our IU Health badge. Okay. So people come in and I think that there may be some of that like medical kind of misconception and mistrust that happens when we come in, but we're really just there to help educate. Um, so And we would never lie. Um, I have given results to people before and they're like, oh, are you sure this is true? And I'm like, my job isn't to lie to you. <laughs> My job is to hope to educate you right. on and update your status and answer any questions that you may have. It's not to lead you to false ideals or anything of that nature. So, um, yes, we definitely do get a lot of skepticism still. Do you, I have to ask you, do you promote condom use? We do, absolutely, yeah. I okay. mean, even with PrEP. Um, PrEP is, um, just to kind of give that a little shout-out, pre-exposure prophylaxis is a once-a-day pill taken to help reduce the risk of contracting HIV. Um, but you have to be HIV negative to be able to start using PrEP. Um, so with that being said, individuals may only be worried about contracting HIV in the gamut of other SDIs that they could contract. So when they're using PrEP, they may stop using condoms or other barrier methods during sex. And that's absolutely, I mean, you as a person can make your own choices, um, but it doesn't protect against any other STIs by taking that once daily pill. So we always encourage condom use or some other barrier form method as well too. Are you guys form. finding the, the trend is that most people aren't using condoms um it varies um it i think by age and kind of just by your idea of what prep is we have a lot of people that come in that want to be on prep that have always consistently 100 percent of the time use condoms and don't intend on stopping that and we have people come in that are using it not using it as like their way to not contract hiv specifically or like their I don't know, like escape route maybe. Um, but there definitely are some people that come in that um, start using it and then will just kind of forget to protect themselves against everything else too. And um, as unfortunate as that sounds, we, um, you know, we can help treat and link to services if that were to happen. Like say somebody that's on PrEP gets gonorrhea, we can absolutely still help with that as well too. Um, those STIs are very prevalent here in Indiana, um, especially yes. gonorrhea and chlamydia. So mm -hmm. um, always just be careful. And from what I understand, they're on the rise. Um, yes, correct? especially in the 18 to 24 year old range, right. they are very, very high. Um, chlamydia being the highest um, here in Indiana with a very high prevalence rate and gonorrhea being right after that. 
Does anybody have any theories as to why that you know of? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, in that age group alone, mm-hmm. 18 to 24, um, there's just seen to be more promiscuous, if you mm-hmm. will, or unsafe sexual practices when mm-hmm. it comes down to it. I mean, there's a lot of underage drinking, even into the 21 to 24-year-old part of that's where drinking is first becoming illegal. You're also more than likely ending high school, getting into college if you choose to go that route at that age. So there's just a lot of factors that go into it that uh, we know at this age can kind of I'm right in that age range as well too so I can't pretend like I've never turned a blind eye to not always being completely protective with myself but um I would assume that's probably why those rates seem pretty steady in that age range right and as you mentioned drinking because that will lower your inhibitions absolutely and make you not think to put on a condom or to take a condom with you yeah. or be responsible that way yeah and consent is always still a huge factor in right. any of these situations regardless of stis and protecting yourself consent is that number one thing that should always be discussed so we always like to talk about that too excellent point so when you um you know when you start your discussion with folks because you're 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 you're, you have a lot of different types of populations. Absolutely. That you're, and you're working with the homeless population here in Monroe County and around. Yeah. Have you seen, you know, with just the, the fluctuate or the large, um, you know, increase of homeless in, in, in Monroe County at least, that, you know, your service, I'm, I'm assuming, are, are really needed and that, that you're, are you seeing a lot more uh, when you're testing as far as, uh, you know, STIs and... Um, STI, I mean, it kind of, it just varies, honestly, on the person. Um, I mean, and that's also kind of, I mean, not that we're like breaking confidentiality by pointing out any one particular person, but it's hard to break it down um, when it really comes down to it. Um, Our services are utilized um, a lot within the homeless population here in Bloomington, which we love to see. I mean, those, especially since our services are free, um, those individuals aren't going to be able to really receive those services anywhere else. So the fact that we can provide it for free and we um, go out to them rather than um, requiring them to walk or get money for a bus fare or whatever it may be to come to us down on the south side of Bloomington, um, going to Shalom and uh, a few other places here in town, um, like the Recovery Engagement Center and places like that. Uh, we get to hit a lot of that population, and they definitely utilize our services um, by getting com- coming to get tested, getting their answers, our questions answered as well, too. So um, we're definitely trying to spread as much knowledge as possible. Right. So where are you testing at, like off-premises? Um, Off-premises, we do the LGBTQ plus center on campus every Thursday during the school year. And then the first and Are third people, Thursday. just to jump in a sec, yeah. are people comfortable coming in and, and doing that on Absol- campus? Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think um, it almost makes the students maybe feel a little bit more comfortable doing it that way. Just medical yeah. facilities in general, no matter if it's a small um, aid service organization or going to IU Health, Bloomington Hospital, get tested, or even on campus at the health or the health center. Um, I think that there's just a higher level of being more comfortable right. um, coming into maybe places like that. And I know there's a few other organizations here in town that also go into um, the IMU on campus a couple, two or three times a year and do testing as well, too. So there we always like to get plenty of opportunity. Yeah, Positive Link used to do some once a year at the Union. They had a big testing day. Okay. Do you guys still do that? Um, as far as I no, potentially. Maybe. I think we do some stuff at the beginning of the school year. Right. Um, it was a like a, a, a big deal that, you know, yeah. when I was in college, everybody, you know, it was like set up for the day and, you know, people came in. It was still, there's so much stigma behind it back then. 
um, you know, people were kind of hiding <laughs> when they got tested. And, I, and I'm assuming that now that that's probably changed a lot, that people understand if they're having, you know, sex, not necessarily unprotected sex, but yeah. just sex in general, um, especially with so many STIs, that uh, it's important to, to be tested. So when you test, you're testing for? Uh, we primarily test for HIV, but um, in our office and then when we go to other sites as well, too, we can test for hepatitis C and syphilis. Um, but once a month, the first Thursday of every month at the back door here in Bloomington, the health department comes and provides free gonorrhea and chlamydia testing. Um, there is also um, a gamut of other STI testing that we can provide through Futures Family Planning Clinic and Planned Parenthood here in town as well, too. So there are definitely a lot of resources right here in our hometown that can help people stay and feel safe. Yeah. How about you guys? I mean, you're, you're the young generation. Um, well, I was just thinking about for our listeners out there. Uh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, you would speak for them, <laughs> yeah. the younger folks. <laughs> well, if you're, yeah, if you're a younger folk also listening, <laughs> I just remember my first time getting tested, I was like, not embarrassed, but you just kind of like, it's just awkward. But then once you like, or with the staff, I've actually been tested when Brandon was in the room. So, excuse me. And that just like, just being able to talk to them about and asking them any questions is just really nice and comforting and it's not so they make you feel comfortable. Yeah, they make you feel comfortable. Yeah. And at the end, of the, like now I'm so used to like getting tested that it's like brushing your teeth. I'm just like, I'm here for like my daily checkup. Like, like not daily. But so as far as your uh, daily, daily, <laughs> daily, daily oh, we need to talk. Brandon, can you stay after? <laughs> you have more education to go here. Um, so how often do you recommend that uh, people get tested? Um, oh, if It depends. Um, so we always kind of go into this conversation about if you're in a monogamous relationship, um, meaning that you are having sex with one person and they are only having sex with you um, once a year just because you never know. You know, right. um, you can't always trust anybody. Um, but outside of that, but if you are um, sexually active or having multiple partners over whatever span of time, uh, generally every like six months, it will probably do it. And that's just to keep you safe. But six months to a year is, that is the for standard. All STIs? All STIs, definitely. I mean, just if you're being sexually active, why not get as many different tests done as possible? Right. Amen. And then how about cost? Um, all of the services provided through um, Positive Link are absolutely free. Um, and then I know I'm not sure about like the health center on campus for students that may still be in town or even when they get back on campus. But Futures Family Planning Clinic offers um, the test a variety of I think the range goes from like 15 to 25, 30 dollars, depending on what test. So it can get a little pricey, unfortunately, but there are those opportunities once a month to come to the back door. And yeah. then as far as do you guys help out with folks that might not be able to afford the medications that might be necessary if somebody comes back, you know, positive for an ST? Um, so that is a very good question. Um, since we don't really deal with, so I could, I guess I could answer that. So um, for the two that other ones that we do test for, so hepatitis C, if somebody were to come back positive for that, we um, there's actually an additional follow-up testing that would have to see if the virus is like currently living and active in your body. And if that's the case, you would have to see a primary doctor. Um, kind of figure out what your like liver enzyme levels are like at right. the time and that'll determine whether you need to be on medicine or not um fortunately for hepatitis c um the medication that's out right now um i believe it's called harvoni it is a once a day pill that you take for 90 days and then your body is essentially cured of hepatitis c but you can be reinfected um after being cured so we always like to throw that out 
Um, and there are services here in town through public health department and like community clinics that I believe can help provide those services to get people connected. Um, there's also a lot of insurance navigators here in town that work with um, individuals who are uninsured or underinsured that can help them receive more benefits to be able to afford those medications as well too. That's great. I just want to clarify. So when is it at the back door? Uh, the first Thursday of every month. First Thursday of every month, and it's free. Yes, from 7 to 10. And do you have to bring anything, ID, anything like that? Um, I believe that they allow individuals that aren't 21 up until 10 o'clock to still enter the building. Um, I don't know if they like give a special stamp, but I think that the, the rules just reverse a little bit. Instead of giving your ID at the door, if you wish to get a drink, you just show them the ID at the bar, and that's kind of how they control okay, that. Okay, so yeah. anybody can go. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, great. So are these tests anonymous as well? You can choose um, to be anonymous um, with the forms that we fill out. Um, so we for HIV specifically, the we have to fill out a form um, with each test, and it's just a state requirement. And you can be anonymous or you can be a confidential, and having the confidential one would just give you the ability to get uh, your result at a later date, like a copy of it. Right. So, so yeah. if you did anonymous, you'd need it now, obviously. I mean, Yes, and we, we always do rapid testing at those sort of right. sites so they know their status before even leaving. So when someone comes in, are they usually getting a rapid? Um, HIV test, yes. Yes, that's yes. what I meant. Sorry, thanks for... And it takes like 15 to 20 minutes. We actually started doing blood-based testing with a new rapid um, HIV test called the Biolytical Insti Test, and it takes 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Oh, that seconds. is so oh. great. Wow, so the, no waiting time. So no waiting no time. Because back when I was your guys' age... You back in the old, back in the <laughs> I had to wait. I think like a week. I can't yeah, remember, but it was the most. Oh my god! Yeah, you would. It was you, a horrible I was week. Yeah, but with with, <laughs> uh, with that test back in the day, you felt you know you didn't know you know you didn't, you didn't know you didn't, that you was didn't, terrifying. A lot of times you didn't survive, but now things have changed so much yeah. that it's not a death sentence. It's a good it is absolutely not. You're yeah, right, and that's where a lot of people are are feel fearful on well we're out of time before we go let's uh take a few moments and i want to thank brandon from positively yes thank you brandon thank yeah. you for having thank me for i appreciate it and we'll thanks have to have you back yes, yes. we'll definitely I have you i would we'd love to have you back like maybe once a month yeah kind of just talk <laughs> seriously i love uh, it we're gonna no. yeah. i think talk about that keep us informed we we'd will, be happy to do yeah that. we'll definitely do that um Great. thanks to all our listeners and volunteers for making this possible uh, Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer for Blooming Out and WFHB. I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Kevin Mosanzade. I'm Grant Rollins. And this is Frankie Presloff from our Blooming Out family wishing you a good evening. Toodles. <laughs> You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at W-F-H-B dot O-R-G. And thank you for listening. Gotta be proud and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand up.